It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Two, one. Recorded live. Hey, everybody. Welcome this wonderful Sunday, first day of the week, to the May Chexic Discussion Group call for Tactical Sovereignty. And that's all we're really doing right now is we're just kind of having a discussion, talking about uh, money and uh, d- different items of whether it's trade or you know, what kind of fiat currency you want to call it, and getting people to accept things. And, you know, I, I really think that in the past when different currencies were being used, uh, it took time for people to get used to it. And uh, whether it was mandated by the state or the county or uh, eventually by the federal government. Uh, so all this, this might seem like brand new kind of things and it might seem like brand new stuff to other shop owners as well. But it really is not that new of a topic. And so I just wanted to continue this conversation we're having with uh, Dave and um, our witness on the wall, um, Craig Johnson. Um, <laughs> yeah, one of the things that I, I brought up just before, just before starting the recording was that, you know, we're seeing something larger go on, and I think it's part of the um, awakening in general. And not only are the people waking up to what's going on and deciding to put their foot down, well, a lot of the states are starting to do some of the same exact things. Um, some of them are, are doing things, especially like California right now, doing something that some of us may agree with, some of us may not agree with. But California has just declared that the entire state is a sanctuary state, kind of thumbing their nose to the federal government. And, you know, I look at it from the point of view that the states um, maybe are waking up to the authority they are really supposed to have, uh, who cares about the particular topic of what California is doing right now, but it's just the fact that they're actually starting to take some of their power back, and the people need to be taking their power back as well. And if a state can do something like that regarding, uh, say, immigration, then why couldn't they do the same thing regarding currency? And I'll yield if with I that. If I, if I yes. may for a quick moment on the immigration issue in California. Uh, this is the structure of the, of the United States and its franchises is not unlike, for want of better phrasing, I'm going to go with subways. Headquartered in Connecticut, got corporate franchises all over the country. Supposing one of those decided that it would no longer abide by a particular rule that the headquarters had put forth and uh, decided we're just not going to do this anymore and our customers are going to uh, thank us for it, this, that, and the other. That's a little bit like what uh, would be going on with the state of corporation franchises of the United States Inc. on D.C. What I would like to hear right now is Dave go through exactly what, not exactly, because repeating the words again is going to, uh, probably doesn't have those mesmerized. But what he said before we started the recording on the uh, particular cryptocurrency, its contracts with uh, Target and other folks, that gives me the impression that the folks who put that together went out and got the contracts with those retailers to use 
that as a debt discharge uh, situation for that cryptocurrency. Dave, you want to talk about that again, please? Okay, so it's it's called iPro Network, uh, and they have a currency. It's called the Pro Currency, and they have contracted, well, several months ago it was 4,500. I'm not sure how many they have now, but they have a coin back rewards program. If you shop with them, you get a percentage back in this cryptocurrency. And um, they've, they also have set up a pro mall through Amazon where you can buy anything that Amazon sells through the pro mall. You have to use the pro currency to do it, but you get, they'll show you the MSRP price. They'll show you the, the Amazon price. And then they show you the pro mall price. And it's usually between 30 and 60% off Amazon's best prices. Um, and it's pretty incredible. So, you know, and you can go buy the coins from the exchange. They're on all four crypto exchanges and you can actually purchase uh, these coins with Bitcoin and you can purchase Bitcoin with these coins. Um, so it's, it's fairly new. They just launched in, in January. Um, well, they had a pre-launch in January and then they launched in July. And uh, I got involved with them at uh, seven cents a coin guaranteed. And then once they started releasing coins onto the market. You know, people started selling them to figure out how to use them, and and then it, the price dropped. I last I heard the guarantee was around four cents, but uh, there's some serious backing on on this crypto, and I I bought it as a you know like a bank um, just to hold on to, and you can also mine these coins about 15 coins per day uh, with a laptop, uh, and it's pretty easy to set up. I know people that are getting up to four payments a day of 15 coins per payment. Um, so that's that's all I got. Did I lose you guys? Was it that boring? No. No, it wasn't that boring. I'm just somebody knows how to negotiate. I am not skilled. In that. I'll tell you what: the guy who created this company, iPro Network, he created the cash back incentive for the credit card industry about ten years ago, maybe yeah. twelve years ago now. Yeah. Well, Discover has been doing cash back or credit back uh, for a lot longer than that. I know somebody well, with a Discover card. Guy, that, they say that this guy created years. that. Yeah. I can't remember his name, but uh, okay. Anyway, he, he, way to get the ball rolling. I, I'm not disputing that. I, I was, when you when you were mentioning that before the call started, uh, I was like, okay, that's a great way to promote this. Is is a coin back in this case, not cash. Coin back uh, set up for the retail and for the and for the buyer themselves to to do that. Um, yeah, great, absolutely. And in yeah. thirty or forty years, we might actually eliminate the Federal Reserve completely. Right. <laughs> Wouldn't that be? Well, nice? you know what? 
you know what? If you uh, really look back, this has been going on for much longer and without people even really realizing what they were doing, and that is, you know, using a different commodity as a currency or as a reward back, yeah. and that's yeah. with your uh, Sky Miles. I've heard, yeah, I've right. heard about that. Yeah. You know, earning, earning Sky Miles with your credit card. Uh, I don't know if it was MasterCard or whoever that was doing it, but that was yeah. that was a form of the same thing. Back fifties and sixties area, I think. Um, we've had we've had barter going all all, all the <clears throat> excuse me all the FRNs are for is barter. <clears throat> it just has to be a very uh, wrongly controlled barter. I guess is about the best way to phrase that. Well, it's essentially just a medium that is acceptable yeah. between uh, individuals that don't know each other from the proverbial Adam, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, yeah. If if I had continental dollars, I wouldn't know what how to be able to say I'd like to pay you in these, and they'd ask me what these are, and I'd have to go through the lovely litany of explanation of the fact that they. You know they're they're banking with a corporation and and not a government. That and that's right. one of the bigger dilemmas in bringing somebody from absolute zero, not even knowing what the what the legal fiction is, forward enough to be able to comprehend stuff. And most of them aren't interested. I'm running into a lot of folk, both on both sides of the equation. They've heard of the Illuminati. They don't know exactly what they're doing. They they know about the Vatican. They're not exactly what's going on there. They know about the Federal Reserve. They don't like it. However, on a daily basis, churning the gerbil wheels, they uh, got to deal with it. I had my pastor today demand. He, he said, I, I can't tell you what to do, but I'm strongly suggesting that you call your representatives and senators about uh, this particular bill, about uh, no abortions uh, after 20 weeks. Type The uh, safe after uh, babies or whatever it is. And I, I said, I don't have any representation. Yeah, you yeah, He was not willing to realize that I'm no longer a citizen of the United States, never was. He knows all this stuff, but he's, so, he's you know, more mindsetted now to get D.C. to change their mind on infanticide. That ain't going to happen. Well, even the citizens that do exist now don't even realize that they don't even have <clears throat> Thank representatives. You. Yeah. Thank you. I mean, Those guys, are they may be representatives, but they're not there to no. represent... Uh, the people. They're there to re- represent they're, they're the public and the people. Con- yeah. Co- and the people are not a part of the US public. Inc. Yeah, exactly. They don't represent the populace. They turn the populace into slaves. That's the that's the objective. Well, when these individuals uh, enter Congress, where they enter the Senate or the House of Representatives, they're all forced to uh, sign an agreement. I don't know how many people know about that agreement they signed, but that kind of tells you where the loyalty really lays at. What's in the contract? Uh, this, uh, and it's now finally being taught. I think I heard something about it on the news on the radio a couple of days ago. I've known about it for quite a while, though, uh, from other people who have been in uh, Congress have come out and talked about it. But that is that they have to sign an agreement that they will not uh, vote in any way that is anti-Israel. Well, that. Yeah, the other Rothschild entity. Yep. 
if I may. State of Israel Inc. is not is not the a biblical Israel by any stretch of the imagination. You guys know yeah, who right. James Fetzer is? James Fetzer? You know who James Fetzer yeah. is? I've, I've heard of him. He was on the Power Hour last week and said that Israel has declared war on the U.S. because um, because of Syria. Mainly because of Syria. I can't remember what the other reason was, but um, yeah, he he said that on the Power Hour. I thought that was pretty telling. Yeah, that's an interesting situation to have two Rothschild corporations at war with each other. Because Rothschilds Rothschilds, uh, control both. They control State of Israel, Inc., uh, through various efforts, most notably the uh, Balfour Declaration, <clears throat> and they also control U.S. Inc. through the Federal Reserve. So that's quite interesting that you got the two main Rothschild corporations that uh, one has declared war on the other. That that's interesting for a country that size, supposed country that size, to declare war on U.S. Yeah, okay, fine. Well, and part of the agreement and everything behind the actual petrodollar was that it was going to be used as a petrodollar because the U.S. was going to be there for protection. So now one of the areas that we're supposed to be there protecting is going to be declaring war on us. (laughs) Not any worse or better than having North uh, North Korea try and do the same. Kim said he was essentially, actually, the... North Korea has been at war with the United States since the Korean conflict, since the so-called Korean conflict. That's never been armistice solved, uh, resolved, or anything else. And for that matter, the South, has, the North, has been at war with the South since uh, 1861. So, all right, there was never a peace treaty signed there either. No, no, and, and so the, that that goes on as well. Just a few historical pieces. <laughs> hey, Magellan, I need to yield the floor. I've got another project going on. All right. Witness Johnson, I appreciate you being here. Well, thanks for letting me yell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, well, like I said in the beginning, uh, it's basically just going to be a uh, discussion and Q&A call, that kind of thing. And if anybody had any topic they wanted to bring up or anything, uh, I had to mention a topic that I might bring up uh, regarding the 10 steps that I posted. Um, some of them useful, some more useful than others that I could go over. Um, but anyway, um, everybody is unmuted, so if somebody had something they want to bring up, feel free. Brian? Yeah, how are you doing? It's Val. Valerie. Um, hey, Valerie. I'm, I'm good. I this UCC. <laughs> uh, I I'm having a problem with that, and I I I just because I haven't wrapped my head around doesn't feel right. And um, what are you, some thoughts on that? I'm still. Learning. You're talking about. You're talking about <laughs> the UCC you, yep. one. Yep. 
Oh, yeah, uniform commercial code. Yeah. Well, for one, you know, I'm a little nervous about anything called uniform um, or universal. <laughs> uh, those words just kind of don't sit right with me. I mean, I think a lot of what's been done, um, and not just on America, but, you know, we see signs of it worldwide, is there's been a great reduction of um, self-identification, you know, put it that way, or, um, you know, self-responsibility, you know, and everything's been kind of set up and designed to put everybody in kind of the, the fake image of being on the same plateau, uh, which is obviously not the case, you know. And the UCC is just a large chunk of what um, the courts are following. Uh, the courts, essentially, what they're there for, the way I look at it, is uh, they're there to enforce contracts and make money. Uh, that's it. Uh, whether it's enforcing contracts between different corporations or people in a corporation um, or different PMAs, different private membership associations like the Department of Motor Vehicles and an individual, say, for instance, because, you know, they got caught um, driving down the road and traveling down the road without registration, you know what I mean? And the courts are there just to enforce that contract that that individual signed with the DMV saying that they're going to, you know, follow the rules and regulations. <clears throat> and uh, they use the UCC for that purpose. And I've heard a lot of debate as to where the UCC really came from, uh, it's a, whether it's a derivative of uh, the maxims of law or that it is actually codified common law. I mean, uh, what it really comes down to, though, you know, I think the courts just do basically use UCC as a basis or a guideline that they follow um, regarding things. And that that's part of what's written into their bigger PMA, if you will. And um, that's their rules. Um, every private membership association is going to have its own constitution, or sometimes it's called a charter. Very often it's called a charter, but it's essentially a constitution. Uh, it's going to have defined its own purposes and reasons for existing. Uh, it's going to have laid out how people become members of that PMA. It's going to have laid out what their rules are in that PMA. You know, and uh, in USA, uh, the rules, or in, at least in the judicial system, what they're following is uniform commercial code, and that's that's their rules. And nobody has really officially, uh, or at least very few people, have officially become a member of that PMA and really have access to those rules. And so I'm pretty hesitant on using UCC, um, right to the level of even uh, putting UCC 1-308 on anything, you know, where you're reserving your rights. Um, the rights that if you're just a general citizen that you don't have to start with anyway, so I don't know what you're reserving. And a lot of people feel like that works when they put it on documents and things. And it very well may work, but I believe that the reason why it works isn't the, for the reason that people think it works. It doesn't work because there's power behind the UCC 1308 that they put after their signature or autograph or whatever. The reason why it works would probably be because 
um, if the truth about the whole matter was brought forward, um, it would spill the beans on the whole judicial system and uh, how the whole corporation is operating and would really show that the people have been left out. That's uh, why they're one of the reasons why they're declared enemies of the state. They're not part of the state. Uh, we're as foreign to the corporation as we are to China. That's the bottom line. And so they wouldn't want to bring those facts forward. So therefore, they just let it slide. And I don't think it's because there's actual power behind putting that after uh, a signature or an, after an autograph on anything. I, I, I agree with you. <laughs> That's been my feelings. That my what I've come to understand. I've been catching up with your the T Row show. It's really funny that you popped back in on that. I was in a different study group oh, like a year or two ago, and I found the importance of the post office, and I stumbled upon the the T Row, the government of the United States, and. I, I I was like, could this be it? And everybody was like, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, no, nah, no. Nah. And so I've been catching up on everything for the last two or three weeks. And um, it is private member PMAs. It it absolutely is. And we are not a member. And I, I get that. I just, uh, so I, yeah, that's where I'm at on the UCC one as well. I just kind of wanted your thoughts on it. So thank you. Yeah, and, you know, you brought up, you know, it's about the PMAs. And that's one of the things, too, that I really believe that um, J.R. Griffin, who wrote Creature from Jekyll Island, that that's one of the things that he was alluding to. I don't know if he knew that's what he was really hitting on or not, but when he talked about uh, that crazy word Illuminati and stuff and that within their circles, (laughs) pardon the pun, that they spoke about rings within rings and that they set everything up that way. That way, if one of the smaller rings went down, it didn't affect the, whole, the establishment as a whole. And that ring would easily be absorbed up by the rings around it. And those rings were the private membership associations. And, you know, it's very easy to do the research on the private membership associations because they're everywhere and they are everything that's around us. Uh, some people might even be a member of one, like a homeowners association. Same exact situation. Because a lot of the things that say a homeowners association will force on the members, the members could easily come back and say, oh, wait, constitutionally, I, I don't have to follow that. <laughs> well, that's not true. You signed an agreement to become part of that PMA and to accept its rules and regulations. So, yeah, you do have to follow it or, you know, you get kicked out of the neighborhood. You know, like I said, they're, they're easily researched. I mean, if you just uh, look at uh, judicially, for instance, you've got your defense attorneys association, you've got your prosecutors association, you've got the judges association, you've got the Crooked Courts Association. I mean, these are all the little rings within rings, and within those associations, what they've taken their oath to is the rules and regulations of their association, and that is first and foremost, what they have to follow. Uh, them taking an oath to the Constitution or anything like that is just a false facade, uh, just to appease the people. Because you can easily see that if that was the case, they're definitely not following the Constitution. 
So evidently there must be some fallacy to that oath. If that makes sense. That makes sense. I keep muting my phone. <laughs> no, currently. that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> okay. And also on the currency, um, I studied and looked into it several years ago. Um, Ithaca hours <clears throat> has been going on. I believe it was in New York. And there was a lot of information on, on how to set up currencies in your area to help. Um, I'll try to find the website for that. And it might help with getting people to accept the continental dollars, you know. It was really good research. It was a good place to study. Because I thought if, if shit goes, I mean, if stuff goes down, you know, in my community, and I've, I've approached people, and, and it talked about different ways to set up trading amongst merchants and, you know, just a sign in your window that we accept, you know, whatever. And um, it was interesting. So... <laughs> I'm ready. Yeah, Har <laughs> yeah. Har Hartford Van Dyke wrote quite a bit on that also in uh, Currencies for Small Communities. Okay. In fact, I think that book might have been a book that uh, sent him to prison for seven years. Oh. I listened to his calls a lot in the beginning. I, I don't. Does he still do a call? Uh, as far he as does. I know, he does. He does Sunday nights. Okay, he's so smart. Did you? Would you call his book, Brian? Uh, I believe it was Currencies for Small Communities. It, it's creating currencies for local communities. Okay. And it is available on the four, the number four dash cd dot com. That's the number four dash cd.com that's a shortcut to fourcornersdoctrine.wordpress.com and he's, there's a Hartford Van Dyke section there with all his books available on PDF thank you you're welcome I believe uh, Arnie Reisner has a site called scannedretina.com and it's there as well Yeah, I think I've seen it there at Scan Retina. Brian, He's also I... got books on uh, Deborah Tavares' website, StopTheCrime.net. She has his uh, um, Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars, but she, don't, she didn't know that he wrote it at the time she had it up there. Yeah, I think I remember seeing her talk about that. That was uh, kind of humorous, I thought. Um, hey, was that Rance jumping in? Yes, it was. You got four questions in the chat. I didn't know if you were looking at the chat or not. No, no, I haven't I had a chance to get back and look at the chat again. Do uh, you want to hit those? Uh, one says... Uh... So if we do a DBA slash ANC... Can we keep slash utilize the slave di d dot i dot and passport? That's one question. 
you want to D-D-L and passport. So basically probably driver's license and passport, I would think. Right. Well, what's going to happen, Roy, is um, you're probably going to have greater claim uh, to be able to use those documents with that name on there. I mean, the way I look at it is that uh, what had happened when people were born and that name got registered with the state um, is that, you know, depending on you know how much everybody re- really knows about how the forms were filled out and all the details and BS behind it and everything's in little boxes and they only use the mother's maiden name, they don't have a separation between the mother and father, making the child to uh, appear as a bastard child and be fatherless, and then the state stepping in uh, under the principles of uh, parents patriae and assuming the role as father, they're essentially holding that name in abeyance, uh, waiting for the rightful owner of it to come forward. And so, therefore, all this time, you know, everybody is out running around doing things in commerce, and they're using a name that they have never made a killing to, and that really hasn't been properly even assigned to them. And they, um, um, an, an assignment, which is actually the right to that name, it, nothing's ever been transferred back. And so they're using a, a name that's held by the state, and so because of that, the state's going to essentially prosecute the hell out of you. I mean, you look at 97% of people uh, get convicted in courts. I think essentially when they come in, they make sure that um, you're guilty right off the get by claiming that name. And uh, through doing a DBA, uh, then you're showing actually that you have made a claim on that name. And you have some sort of evidence that you've done that on the public record. Um, I know for Florida, where mine was done, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're still in commerce, da 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 And I was like, well, not really. And it was pretty much self-evident because I went back uh, to check the records just to see some of the wording that the state of Florida used. And so I went to uh, the name, the list of business names for the state of Florida. And I went through there, and I'm like, wait a minute. I just got confirmation like two days ago <laughs> that this had gone through. Why am I not finding that name anywhere listed under, you know, registered business names? And I thought, well, you know what? I did register it as being unincorporated right? so that it wouldn't actually be a part of something else or a part of something bigger, meaning the state. So I backed out of that site, and instead of searching business names, I just put in fictitious names, and there it was in the fictitious name list. So to me, that was kind of uh, the separation that they were showing right there, that that name was not in commerce, it was not incorporated in part of um, another business. It it was kind of a standalone name, and it listed uh, myself as the owner of that name. So hope that explains some of that. What What was your question? Uh, one of the other questions is, if you do a name change, what does that do to someone's disability? I don't think they're uh, getting that you don't actually do a name change, but... Right. 
Yeah, what you're doing with the name change, yeah, what you're doing with the name change is, um, and uh, you can probably find that if you just Google uh, no all caps, uh, Child Harris site should pop up. But what you're doing with a name change, it's not the name necessarily that's getting changed. Um, The style of it is getting changed from the all uppercase uh, to the upper lower. But what's really being changed, the important part, is that's that change of assignment. That's another way of doing a change of assignment from who is in possession and uh, who has got useful right to that name and being able to use it. And is and also I, I want to mention this because that uh, touching on uh, like Social Security benefits or anything like that, and people wonder, oh gosh, you know, if I join this government, talking about the government of the United States of America, um, and leave U.S. Inc., you know, what's it going to do to my Social Security? And everybody automatically forgets that all of these organizations and all these alphabet agencies. They are all their own separate businesses, just like Target, Walmart, Kmart, Ace Hardware. They're all separate from each other. They may have contracts with each other to work with each other in certain ways, um, like Amazon does with with UPS, for instance. Or I mean, Amazon has with uh, USPS in order to take care of mail and packages and things like that. They can have contracts with each other, but they are not part of the same single business. So U.S. Inc., it's its own separate business. Um, IRS, they're their own separate business. Uh, Social Security Administration, they're their own separate business, and they just contract between each other is all. So I really don't think people have to worry about that kind of stuff. And uh, besides, like with, say, getting Social Security benefits, that's kind of one of the word tricks they've used on everybody because they are really not benefits. There are actually obligations of Social Security to you. And they just make it sound nice and pretty, call them a benefit. And so people are always worried about losing their benefits. Well, as long as they're thinking of benefit-wise and not obligation, you know, if you talk obligation back to Social Security, they're probably going to get a little bit of a different tone from them because that kind of lets them know that you know who owes who what, you know. Um, if that answers that. What else are you looking at there, Rance? Trying to jump over there. Hang on, I was muted. I gotta screw up. See what else was on there. Uh Yes, there's one more. Uh, what is the difference between the re- revocation of election and voters rescinding? Okay. <clears throat> uh, revocation of election deals with the IRS. And that's essentially where you're going back and saying, sorry, I made a mistake. I uh, contracted with you at some point, maybe an early age, wasn't aware of what I was doing and what was really going on. And had no comprehension of contract law, da da da. And uh, um, Weiss and Associates has a great program laid out for taking care of that. And so that's what revocation of election is. 
election, people hear the word election and they think voting. Well, the word election actually means choice. You elect to do something. You choose to do something. And so uh, what you're doing is you're uh, revoking the choice that you made. Uh, whereas the voter's registration rescission, you are rescinding that registration that you have to go vote. Um, uh, that other little kind of like contract that you've got with your state as far as the voter's registration goes. But essentially, the, the bigger part of it really to look at, and so looking at like little details, is what happens when people are voting or they think they're voting, is that you are turning over your power of attorney to someone else to speak for you, uh, whether it's a state capital or uh, say it's your county board of commissioners, something like that. Which, of course, also there's a PMA for county commissioners. And they're also set up under a PMA that is um, nationwide as well. And one of the things, too, let me touch on that, the voters' uh, decision, is I hear so often a lot of people say, well, I've never voted or I've never um, registered to vote, da-da-da. Well, essentially, that really is not what it gets right down to as to what you're trying to accomplish. Every every society, part of a society is... um, your voice in it and being able to have a voice in it. And they, they've really kind of twisted everything from being uh, the society that we think it is to really being your own little private club and you thinking that you've got something to say within their club, which you really don't. Well, what you're really trying to do through the voters' uh, registration rescission is ultimately what you want is you want a document from them saying you are not a member of their political society anymore. And uh, that also has to do with jurisdiction. That plays into jurisdiction of the courts as well. So whether you are in their roles or not, and I know a lot of people I've talked to have said, you know, oh, I've never voted or never registered, da, da, da. Uh, They've gone back and looked in the roles for their county, and they've found their name there. And it gets entered in very often through uh, applying for a driver's license or buying property or other things like that. And so ultimately, really, what you want from them is that document coming back that they've signed, uh, saying that you're not a member of their political society. And in fact, when I did that, um, I called them up on the phone uh, to verify that they had received the letter and that they had taken my name off the rolls. And the guy that was in charge of doing that was looking at his computer and says, yeah, I'm looking at it right here. It says you're no longer a resident. And I thought that was odd because I had never said I was moving or anything like that. But to him, in his eyes, that's the way they interpret it. You are no longer a resident, Um, which we know really in the legalese terms, um, the word resident is someone temporarily living somewhere who is originally from somewhere else um, or someone uh, traveling abroad in commerce that's originally from somewhere else. And that somewhere else that they look at is Washington, D.C., so I thought that was really interesting that he used that verbiage when I talked to him. 
And I asked him if I could get a copy of that, and he said, sure, come on down to the office. So um, I jumped in my car and ran down there, and they took that form, ran it off from the computer, and they autographed it. And uh, what I thought was interesting is that after they autographed it, they took it down to the end of the counter, which they had like a 50-year-old embosser down there. The thing must have been like two and a half feet tall. And then they embossed um, their autograph with it. So I found that to be pretty curious. And I've used that document for quite a few things. Uh, one of the best things that you can use it for is if you don't want to participate in their judicial monopoly, um, you can send that in with your um, when you're returning your uh, jury duty summons. Um, that's what I do with my last one. Uh, down here where I live, on um, Southwest Florida, uh, you receive those about once every three months. And uh, so I sent that along when I had gotten one, and they returned um, um, comment back to me actually fairly quickly within the same week and said that uh, they apologized and that they were never going to send me another jury summons again, and they have not done that. At least that's one thing that they've been able to live up to. So, <laughs> uh, Did you see anything else there, Rance? No, I haven't. In fact, I just asked if there was any more questions to ask away. All right. <clears throat> Yeah, like I said, everybody's unmuted, so if uh, you're on phone and not computer, if you're able to with a computer, just go ahead and pipe in. Um, and those questions were things off from that list that I had mentioned earlier. And I'll go over that list. I'll just name those things off uh, fairly quickly for the people that haven't looked at that list. It, it, and to me, uh, this was a list I made up a few months ago of uh mostly things that I've done, and there are things that, you know, people, hey, you know, you're walking your own path. You've got the option to do or not to do. Uh, they're just kind of suggestions, I guess. Um, the first one was uh, ordering a certificate of live birth uh, to get it authenticated, that we can move ahead with the authentication process. Uh, because what we've really come to find is that that is the title uh, to that registered organization that was created in that all-cap name. Uh, number two was um, remover of, removal of voter status with verification. Uh, number three, uh, change of the uppercase name to the upper lower, uh, which, like I said, is a change of assignment. That's what's really happening. Uh, number four was the DBA. Uh, number five was the revocation of election, which I mentioned that deals with uh, your choice to join the IRS. Uh, number six uh, is copyright and trademark. Um, I actually posted a uh, free site for copyright uh, into Tactical Sovereignty. And uh, you can find it also, just go into the, by Google and put in the word copyrighted, all one word, copyrighted.com. And that's a free site. And now I know there's a lot of people out there that are saying, oh, well, you've got to have stuff done through the Federal Trade Commission, da, 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 or it's not legit. I'm thinking, wait a minute, why are you so wanting to engage in the company? Is you know really the motive to be separating from the company? 
And we know that there's also common law copyright. You know, you can prove when you first started using something, you know, and uh, get that verified on paper, filed away or something like that, or, or put into the paper. You know, there's also the common law copyright. So if you think common law copyright's fine, and you also believe in, you know, registering with the Security and Exchange Commission or Federal Trade Commission, then why wouldn't just using a free site that goes and will give you the copyright or at least you have documentation? The same as the common law copyright. All right, anyway. Uh, number seven, ordination. Getting ordained uh, by a non-501c3 organization. Let me touch on this for a little bit. <clears throat> ordination. A lot of people go and they read the First Amendment and the Bill of Rights, and they think it talks about churches. Uh, the first sentence of that in the First Amendment says that Congress shall make no law uh, respecting an establishment of religion. Well, you have to realize these are all legal words that they use. This is all their legalese. So you've got to go back, take those words one by one, look them up in one of their legalese dictionaries and find out what they're really meaning by it. Because when it comes right down to it, you yourself are an organization. All right? Or you yourself is an establishment. Okay? And laws are put in place for the unruly. The people that are ruly don't need laws. Uh, the, the people that are good, honest, um, community-helping, community-serving individuals, they don't need laws. The laws are put in place for the people that don't know how to behave themselves, is the bottom line. And so when they put that in the First Amendment, that Congress shall make no laws regarding establishment of religion, that was for everybody who has not made a choice and doesn't have a set of principles that they're following. Now, for everybody that um, doesn't have a set of principles, then they went on past that first sentence and started listing the rights and things like that regarding the people that didn't have any principles that they were living under. That's essentially the way I look at it. And uh, when I say to get ordained under a non-501c3 organization, I used um, Universal Ministries out of Chicago and not Universal Life Ministries. Universal Life Ministries is a 501c3. Universal Ministries, however, is not a 501c3. And the, what you have to look at from that point of view, I mean, even the Democratic Party, uh, I, I believe they're listed as being organized under the IRS uh, 527 organization, something like that. And when you look at verbiage like that with some of these organizations, such as the Democratic Party, and it says that there's a 527 or 517 under the IRS, uh, wait a second. If they're organized under the IRS, then who is the Democratic Party ultimately answering to? Are they answering to the people or are they answering to the IRS? Because the IRS is the one that can pull the rug off from underneath them any day. And to also say this as well uh, on this topic, <clears throat> to the Moors out there, Moors, I love you guys. You guys have done some great research. 
I've learned a lot from you. But you've kind of failed to see the elephant in the room. Uh, because the Morris Church is also operating under, I believe, a 501c3. All right? So are you organized under your creator, or are you organized under uh, one of the arms of government? And you think about that. Um, number eight, I listed there uh, to get an embosser for whatever documents you do. That's your private seal. All right? And I had mentioned that they used that at the supervisor elections as well when they gave me the uh, validation that I was not a part of their political society. Uh, number seven, we touched on this a little earlier. I put UCC1. You know, there's the UCC1 uh, with the UCC3 addendum that a lot of people are doing. And a, a lot of people love it. Uh, they think that's just the way to go and everything like that. They take hours and hours and hours of classes trying to learn it all and everything like that. And at the end of the day, I'm not seeing anybody that's having 100% success to it. Uh, I see people claiming to have maybe 60 or 70% success in doing discharges and things like that. However, I firmly really do not believe that anything you're doing is something that the common man couldn't do on their own anyway and still get 60 70% success off them. Uh, your UCC-1 is essentially a public notice through the Secretary of State as to who and what you are and your relationship to that uh, fictional organization that the state created. Um, well, guess what? You can contact or you can contact Secretary of State on your own. That's what I did with my declaration of status and identifying uh, my relationship to that organization. I just sent that straight off to the Secretary of State. And it's also in the public domain for anybody to read it, if anybody wants to see it. Um, and then number 10 I put on there was the Declaration of Status. Um, well, which to me is <clears throat> probably one of the biggest things next to uh, the authentication of the Certificate of Live Birth, which is the title to that organization. Uh, because your declaration of status is dealing with your relationship to that organization, all right? And your authentication of that doc, of the certificate of live birth is also something that should be used as an exhibit along with that declaration. Uh, when you send that off to the Secretary of State and whoever other entities you're sending that off to. And that's just the notice that you're giving them, what you're doing essentially is you're just correcting the presumption. If nobody speaks up and says anything, then you're going to continue to be administrated over whether you like it or not and um, be subject to whatever harm it causes you as well along the way. Um, you need to correct that presumption. That, and that's, at the end of the day, that's really what I found with everything I researched and studied is that Everything that is being done is being done the way it is is because the people's voice hasn't been heard. Why hasn't the people's voice been heard? Because the people never use their voice. You know, they never put pen to paper. They never took a stand. You know, they're just doing their best to get along. And as long as they don't get bothered, they're not going to worry about anything. Uh, of course, they also don't worry about the things that happen to their fellow man. Yes, what's up? This is Walter. 
Hey, Walter, what's up, brother man? Good to hear from you. Oh, it's good. Thank you for having me once again. Um, I was just in a Zoom room meeting with John Folks and Sandy and uh, um, Benjamin, and uh, I finally got to the bottom of what's going on and how the people can have a voice uh, through the American National Union Assembly. They are the ones that bring the motions to the uh, Great Council American National Union Assembly members to be put forward. That's where their voice is. Walt, I don't know. You know, people having a voice and stuff like that and actually being able to accomplish something. Uh, don't you think that's something that's supposed to remain secret? Nobody's supposed to know about? Um, well, I'm just, uh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I mean, I know that they can have a voice there. And if they were to get on these calls uh, that's involved with this new government, this old government brought forward, um, they have a voice there, and I finally established that uh, with um, a few people. Uh, we were in committee, not assembly. We were in committee when it's one, uh, two or more people that talk that are American National Union Assembly members. They are in committee, okay? Now, when we go to the assembly, we have assembled, and that's different. And uh, when the, the callers come on that are uh, residents or American nationals, that's where they their voice can be heard and things put forth to benefit them in their community for business uh, or uh, for their uh, protection or anything that they want to facilitate in their life can be brought to that table. Uh, well, um, before you continue, I just want to give everybody kind of a notice or heads up. If you don't already have a pen and paper sitting in front of you, uh, get one. Uh, shortly, I'll give you the number where you can uh, join our assembly calls at. All right. Go ahead, Walt. All right. Yes, that's very good. If people get their pens and papers ready, they might want to jot down some of the things that I'm getting ready to state also. Um, and maybe before get... you start, Walt. Go ahead. This is Rance. If you can, throw those into the chat, too, please. Yes. would be good. All right, I'll put the numbers into the chat while Walt's speaking. Yeah, so this this is a very important thing. The subject matter that uh, Brian has been touching on um, is is important for people to um, be able to understand what can they do about the situation that we are all in at the time of being governed instead of self-governing. At the end of the day, that's where it's at. For the folks that are unruly or out of control, they need to be governed. I agree with Brian 100%. But for the folks that aren't causing any harm, the golden rule is this. Cause no harm, no damage to property, or no loss. And and you're not performing any other type of nefarious acts toward your fellow brothers and sisters or society at large. And when it comes to definitions and terms of words, um, you can define what you want that word to mean. Like people use the word resident. Yeah, I can see how resident can be, you know, oh, resident's not a good word, but if you put into a publication of what it means to you, you put an international publication of record, then whenever somebody tries to change the definition or meaning of the term that you've already published for yourself, they cannot change the definition of that unless it benefits you. 
And uh, that's another thing he was talking about earlier about definition and terminology. So if we was to go into one of their courts, what the people think are courthouses, and they're just administrative proceedings, if we try to put documents in there, it's going to be considered frivolous. But if we put an international posting of public record of our document before we submit it into that court, then at first we don't have a, a, a mouth. We have no standing. We have a mouthpiece, which is called the attorneys that are appointed to us or the ones we go out and buy. But once we put our own paperwork in there that has been publicized in a public record um, uh, record, then um, they don't have a voice. They can't come against you then. <laughs> There's more to it than that, but that is the basic understanding of what I've learned on how to assert oneself and, and uh, self-govern oneself. That's the intent. That's when you publicize it, that's your intent. Now, to back that intent, you have to have your own form of your own constitution or charter and your own um, bylaws or articles of organization, because those mean the same thing. That's just de facto speak, also talk, uh, cross-reference with private membership associations. And that's what uh, all these things are out there. There's not no real government on this continent until the 2015th, which is the United States of America. So when you put forth an intent by a publication of record, they cannot go uh, around that. That's where you gain your standing back and you are self-governing. And they're going to try to. You just have to know how to conduct yourself uh, to facilitate um, your self-governing position. And there's nothing they can say or do about it. And no state, no court can um, obligate the terms or conditions of a contract. That's kind of sort of what uh, Brian said earlier. Um, that is the beginning of self-governing. You're just going to have to find a way to uh, sit down and start studying for oneself. Okay, i got a thing here I'm going to read real quick. It's not very long. It's really short. Okay, it's that uh, the, for the correct term, I tried to. I wanted to say it verbatim, so I'm going to say it now. No state can make laws that impede the obligation of a contract, and therefore is without jurisdiction unless the private member association commits a nefarious act, which means some form of human rights violation. And that was verbatim right there. Um, that's what we're dealing with with the DMV, with the state, the state's a PMA the uh, administrative building, what we call the courthouse, is a PMA, and all the attorneys and lawyers and members of that uh, private membership association, their um, remedy and recourse that's inside their copyrighted um, laws, uh, we have no written permission to use them. Now, if we start to govern ourselves and we publicize in a publication of record our own intent and our own bylaws, and then we take that publication of record and we drop it into a registration, you know, a, a great registry. You can make your own. You can do it on Scrib or Scribe, or you can set up your own public registry for self. I mean, it sounds like a lot, but it's not really. And uh, once you get it set up, that's where you put all your 
intense at through publication and then when it's publicized and nobody rebuts it or contests it, then you are governing yourself and they have no jurisdiction unless you break one of the golden rules, cause harm, damage, or loss. And I yield. Thank you for the time. Yep, unless you are uh, breaking a um, capital crime, you know. Hey, a lot of people watch, I had an ex that used to like watching all of those uh, real life uh, murder mysteries and things like that where they show reenactments of stuff that had happened, whether somebody was killed or kidnapped or whatever the case was. And I thought it was funny after a while, looking back, and the only time you ever saw a pastor or a minister uh, being hauled into court or something like that was over a murder case, was over something dealing with maybe a capital crime, something very serious, you know, where they cause harm. Uh, fortunately, we didn't see any Catholic priests hauled in for any physical harms that they had caused people, but uh, that's kind of another story. But um, that, that right there is kind of a telltale sign. I mean, I know... After I was ordained, um, times that I would be pulled over, you know, I'd make sure that along with my identification was uh, the clergy ID. And their eyes would perk up and they'd immediately say, oh, you're, you're clergy. And I'd say, yes, thank you. You know, from that time forward, I've had at least 13 encounters with police. I've received zero tickets. And those stops uh, will last generally under two minutes. Time for them to get to the car, punch in the name, see nothing comes up, and run back and say, have a good day. I've never had stops last so short. I've, you know, prior, I had never been pulled over for anything where they don't write you a ticket or a warning or something. There's always something written out to you. Um, and since I started doing that, I've gotten, gotten nothing written back to me from them. So, which should be a little bit of a, a telltale sign right there, that there's essentially two systems running side by side. You know, you choose the side of uh, good or you choose the side of evil. And I don't think I need to tell you who the side of evil is. Um, and I put in the chat what the phone number was for the Tuesday night uh, unit and assembly calls. Um, I don't know if it might have got in there twice. Uh, but for those that aren't in the chat, I'll just say it here over the recording. And if you don't catch it, don't worry about it. Like I said, this is recorded, and you can always go back to um, the recording and listen to it again. Recordings can be found probably if you just Google TalkShoe and then put in 1433321. It'll take you right here to these calls. All right, the uh, phone number for the Tuesday night assembly calls, um, if you have Zoom, I would advise using Zoom over your computer or a phone that's compatible uh, because sometimes there's documents shared and shown, and it's good to be able to look at those things. And so you can uh, do that through Zoom. But if not, the phone number is still the same, just if you're calling in over the phone, okay? And uh, that Zoom or telephone number is 408 408- Six three eight zero nine six eight. I'll say that once more. That's four zero eight six three eight zero nine six eight. 
And then, of course, uh, like a lot of these calls, it's going to ask you for a PIN number. Uh, this is also the room number if you're doing it over Zoom. And that number would be 778-307-2021. One more time, that's 778-307-2021. And if I might add... And then, that's 8 o'clock Eastern. Yeah, what's up? Um, you don't have to have an account to join a Zoom room meeting. All you have to have is the PIN number. Yep. And also, Zoom is free. You can download it for free. So it's not anything that costs you. And there's no monthly fee or anything like that to it. I think it's essentially what their uh, payment is uh, for you using them is like a lot of these things that you use that you don't realize that all your metadata is being stolen. <laughs> Everybody's afraid of using stuff. Oh, I think they spy. Guess what? They spy on you everywhere. <laughs> uh, the CIA director said if you've got a brand new dishwasher, it's even spying on you. So, guess what? You're being spied on. That is the life we live in nowadays. <clears throat> All right. Uh, anybody else have anything they want to bring up? Any questions, comments, statements? I think we touched on the essential things that we needed to touch on tonight. Um, and I'll also say to people as well, um, if you're going to use that uh, Zoom, the 408 number, uh, which you can access the Tuesday night assembly call on, uh, we also have our weekly government call, where for the first hour, you can listen in uh, to the different reports from different offices, like Secretary of State, things like that. And then uh, the last half of the call, uh, they end the recording, we just open it up for discussion and things like that. And that's the same Zoom number, although it's a different room. Uh, the room for that is 857-232-0155. And that's the room number or the PIN number for the Monday night call, which really generally starts at 9, but at Around 8 o'clock, a few people start bouncing in and just chit-chat and stuff before things officially get going. So recommend to that to everybody. Brian, if I may? Yeah, Rance. You got another question in the chat asking if this process stops foreclosures or sheriff sales. Yeah, I was just reading that. <clears throat> um I would love to say that it does, but I don't believe so. Um, because th this is essentially just something where uh, you're clarifying the record as to your relationship when it comes to um, the state or whatever other companies that might want to have dealings with you. Um, and I see different things work in different parts of the country, and I see other things get thrown out in different parts of the country. Uh, there was a time a while ago where people were, you know, demanding the wedding signature, and they were getting some success with that. Um, but that was short-lived. 
anymore. The judges could care less about that. Um, so people are trying to experiment and use different things. And I see some things that are working and um, the majority of things that don't. Um, but even the things that do work uh, aren't something that people go and drop in the lap of the judicial administrators or the other agencies, you know, the day that they get a foreclosure notice. Um, it's stuff that people fight with them for two, three years or more on before they ever have any success. Um, you're dealing with normally large sums of money in situations like that and greater um, sums of fraud on top of it. And so it's even harder to get the pit bull to let loose at that point. I have an idea, if I may. Yeah. Oh, this is Walter. Um, I know for a fact a man on Florida that went out and put a lien on his own property put it in a pub, uh, uh, publication of record, and then um, put a, an amount of a lien on there, and then um, he kept that lien. Now, they came to try to do an intimate domain on him, and when they tried to do the intimate domain, they was trying to widen a certain highway. Well, they haven't been able to widen that highway. Now, that four-lane highway goes down into a two-lane highway going past his property. And what he did is put a lien on his own property, which created a type of a cloud on the title. And what happened was, is they tried to come and force him, but when he brought forward that affidavit of publication that was in a publication of record, they were, the whole state of Florida was not able to address it unless they satisfied the lien first. And he had 10 acres of property, and that property has $5 million per acre. And until they satisfy that lien, they cannot touch his land. It's just an idea. I'm not giving no illegal advice here. I'm just telling you what I heard that worked and still stands to this day. I yield. Yeah, no, I would agree with that. Because when I first started researching things, um, before I knew Jack Squat, one of the first things that bounced into my head that really made sense um, was leaning your own property, you know, or, you know, and if they don't let you do that, uh, even have, you know, somebody you trust go and put a lien on it, you know, for whatever reasons. Um, it, but yeah, when I did see that he had done that and that it has worked, I was like, uh, to me, it was a little bit of an assurement that, yeah, I was on the right path in thinking that. Um, and that's one of the things actually, uh, somebody asked me yesterday or today, uh, they asked me about a um, a child that they have that they haven't done the birth certificate or anything like that on it, and uh, that uh, the mom or the dad was kind of concerned of any future problems that might come along if they need to put anything in place. And that's essentially what I said for uh, their property as well, is to go ahead and, um, you know, a... Notice of interest essentially is a lien, okay? It may not have a dollar amount on it, but it's putting you in the first-in-time, first-in-line, or the first-in-time, first-in-right position. And um, that's why I said to them was, you know, claim your property. You know, put, put, put a legal notice in the paper, um, have it run for two three weeks, whatever it's supposed to run for, and um, just put your notice of interest there and your claim to the property there. 
And uh, when you do that as well, the paper will go and it'll give you a certified copy of that also after it's run. And to use that um, as your documentation. So I'll agree with that. And also I'll add to that if I may. Um, there are courts out there that know that until the cloud on the title has been settled, they cannot be, uh, have any proceedings on that property. And I'll yield. Yep, you're absolutely correct. It, what, what this is coming down to is like what we're, I was saying earlier about what the courts are really doing is just enforcing contracts. And this enters into that same field right there. It says contract enforcement. And somebody has, you know, an interest in something. I, you know, I, I want to take a step further. I've heard of people because I, I know a lot of people have problems with uh, bank accounts being frozen or money being taken and things like that. Um, I've even seen situations where people have put a notice of interest on their bank account. And that kind of throws the bank managers for a loop, but <laughs> uh, that, that puts a stop to uh, their accounts being closed by people. So, so Walt, anything else good and juicy come out of that meeting this afternoon? Um, yeah, um, the, um, the assembly has just reformed. We have a publication that it has convened, so that's our intent. Now, after the intent has been put forward, let me grab my paper. Um, after that intent has been put forward, there's some basic things that have to be put in place. And um, the basic things are that we need to um, uh, adopt the Articles of Confederation, and we have to go in there and then read it into the minutes. And the minutes, see, the minutes are like the uh, Articles of Association. It's like the bylaws. Minutes, bylaws, and Articles of Association. Underneath the Articles of Association, you have bylaws. In the bylaws are the minutes of the meeting, which establish what the guidelines are or the rules and regulations of the assembly will be. And then um, the next thing is that uh, we have to claim all states as a republic form of government and the American National Union Assembly, Great Council, as such the same. And the meets and bounds and the seaward boundaries have to be claimed along with that. And then offices have to be established, like post offices, uh, treasuries, banks, everything in every branch of the government that uh, we are part of. We have to uh, be um, equal across the board with the American National Assembly. Because, see, they start, they try off from the bottom up, and it kept failing. So they changed their mind and started from the top down for a bottom-up government. And uh, it's working really good for them because um, they had sent a letter over to Switzerland about some issues. And sent back, they were sent back uh, a letter saying that uh, they have no jurisdiction. Switzerland didn't have no jurisdiction. And then they sent another letter back 
And when they got the letter back from them, they told them here at this government, the United States of America, that uh, uh, we recognize your jurisdiction and we hope that you recognize our jurisdiction. So this government has been established. Now we have to do the same thing within the American National Union Assembly to uh, adopt certain things. Now, to begin with, we have to set up our foundation, which would be our charter or constitution, whichever one we want to call it, and the articles of those organizations, which would be the bylaws or the rules and regulations. That's the first step. And then we can say how it goes uh, as far as the seats and what the requirements are for each um, member that takes office within the treasury, within the registrar, within the um, uh, ambassador, within the uh, um, any any branch that we want to create. But once them branches are created, then we are governed by the opinions and the motions brought forward from the residents and the American nationals. That means the people. And that, folks, is how a government is run by the people. Because the people are the um, uh, ones that we're working for, instead of like the ink side, where it's uh, uh, a government, um, uh, people for the government instead of government for the people. See, so on the other side, we have to ask permission for things that we do in the form of license, driver's license, marriage license, uh, dog license, cat license, and and everything. That's asking permission. I'm here to uh, ask to get a license for this or a license for that. It's not how it works. Um, over here, there's an option to get a driver's license, which is connected to a bond. And on the de facto side, DMV, when you sign that document, you sign away your right to travel. don't know that. So what happens when we sign away our right to travel? we sign that away for them to be able to sell it back to us as a privilege. Now, over here, if you get a license over here to drive, that's just so you can have some sort of evidence for the de facto side that you have possessed in your possession a license. And when you sign a document over here, or the DOT over here, you are giving back a consideration. Because when you sign you give over your intangible right to travel. And that intangible right has a monetary value at three quarters of a million dollars. That's 750000 Now, when you get a driver's license here, there is a bond set in place. And the price that we pay is our intangible right to travel to secure that bond which the bond becomes your insurance policy that never has to be paid for as long as you keep your license with this DOT under the United States of America. So I think that's a pretty good consideration. That's, you know, in case you get into an accident, there's going to have to be some damages paid. So instead of coming after you, oh, by the way, i got to mention this also before I go too much further, you have to have a PMA over here. And there is an application you can fill out to have a, a simple, like, five or ten line application with different information on it. Uh, and you have to have a PMA in place to get a driver's license over here. 
and that's for protection. That's for your protection and for the United States of America's protection and for the residents and the American nationals' protection. Um, and you get that insurance bond. You get the driver's license. On the front is the driver's license. On the back will be your bond information and bond number, which is the insurance. Um, there are a lot of things that are totally different over here. Every one of your rights over here is they're considered to be a UDHR uh, dry, uh, compliant driver's license. That's Universal Declaration of Human Rights, for those who don't know. Um, if uh, you were to uh, go to government of the United States dot international, there is all the links there for you to study on these um, different branches of government. Um, now, back to the PMA. That PMA, if you get into an accident, they won't come after you for damages. They'll come after the PMA and the bond connected to that PMA. And that's a whole lot better. I mean, you know, if, you, if, you, if you murder somebody, kill somebody in an involuntary manslaughter or something like that, then there's nothing can be done about that. And if there's some harm caused to somebody during the accident, some kind of medical bills or something like that, that comes out of the PMA. Um, and three quarters of a million dollars is a, a lot higher policy than any insurance company possibly you can get out there. You can get million dollar policies, but I've never heard of uh, three quarters of a million dollars. Uh, you know, um, and then you have to pay out the nose for those million dollar policies. And a lot of times uh, when they settle on the million-dollar policies, they um, are only like 120, 300, 300,000, 200,000, somewhere in there dollars that has to be paid out. And over here with the $750,000, you still covered even on that as far as medical bills and things of that nature. That's harm caused or damage to the vehicle. Um, and uh, if, uh, if I could... Uh, speak on something else here also, just to kind of clarify what a PMA is and how it's protecting people. I have a short uh, read that I use as uh, um, information for people who want to uh, purchase a private membership association. Um, it's $190. I think that was the price that's uh, standing now. Um, uh, if you don't mind, Brian, I'd like to read about a PMA. Yeah, go for it, bro. Right. A PMA is kind of a version of a trust, the way I look at it. It's like a trust. It can be used as a trust. But if you want the extra protection, layer of protection, you can also drop this PMA into a trust. Because you can put all your property into a PMA, your property as far as anything the birth certificate from the de facto, the Social Security, your blood, your DNA, your pictures, your autograph, everything can be dropped into a PMA. And then for a second layer of protection, into a trust. All right, so a little, little some words here that I want to read on, uh, an explanation of how a PMA, what a PMA is, how it functions, what the rights and responsibilities are, what you can and cannot do. A PMA does not need any authority or permission of any kind whatsoever from any government for its creation or in order for exist and function. Uh, and by and exists upon the exact same authority and power 
that people assert. At Bible Membership Association, PMA is men and women collectively asserting and standing upon their rights to determine what devices, procedures, products, or services will be used by them to maintain the health of their own body, mind, and spirit. PMA members of You there, Walt? You kind of disappeared, Walt. Am I still here? Can you hear me? Now you are. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah now you're here. All right. Um, PMA members are free to exchange any information whatsoever on any topic they choose and can speak or write about, listen to, or read any information, use or obtain any information, products, or services on any terms agreeable to any member who chooses to provide that information, product, or service. Can you still hear me? Yeah, you're good. Okay. PMAs are under no general lawful-slash-legal obligation to recognize any statutory title of public competency, education, or training, licensed persons, or experts. Private law, I mean public law, regulations, and international rules of administrative agencies that regulate the public do not generally reach the PMA. Now, the part about generally means that, you know, you got, if you cause a nefarious act or a problem like that, the golden rule, do not generally reach a PMA because that would impair, impede, obstruct, or defeat the PMA member's ability to discuss, hear, read, or speak about, print, obtain, and use things which may be prohibited to be discussed or used by the public. See, people that are involved with the public realm and their PMAs out there, you're, you're governed by what you can hear, by what you can see, by what you can do, by what you can use, and under this, they can't do that. A PMA generally falls outside the jurisdiction of public law, regulations, and internal rules of administrative agencies, including but not limited to the public law that created the FDA and all other agencies. Uh, a private membership association is men and women collectively asserting and standing upon their secured perfect rights, their reserved authority, their pre-existing claim to absolute authority and control over the health of their own body, mind, and spirit and rights. Therefore, collectively, reference to herein simply as rights. A PMA functions by the members acting as people in their real character and capacity rather than acting as a commercial slash legal slash legislative slash public person. No state can make a law that impairs the obligation of a contract and therefore is without jurisdiction unless the private member association commits a nefarious act, which means some sort of human rights violation. And that's basically what a PMA is. It's what it covers. It's, what, it's the protection. They have no jurisdiction once you've established your own charter slash constitution Articles of organization slash bylaws slash minutes 
because it's once you put it into the minutes or read it into the minutes, then that becomes your law. And they have no jurisdiction to govern you because you became self-governed. And as long as you cause no harm or damage or loss, they have no jurisdiction. And if they try to engage with you, then they it's called uh, trespassing on your DMA. And that's the way it works. It's a simple thing. It's not hard to set up. And um, once you learn them simple, basic things, then people don't understand that uh, they have all the protection in the world if they just studied about what a PMA is and what a trust is. You don't have to learn all that de facto stuff to protect yourself. You don't have to learn all their statutes, rules, or uh, laws and their organizations in order to assert your own type of business entity. And when you do a PMA, you actually use the all-cap name that appears on the certificate of live birth, and you capture that entity, and they have to move that entity over into your PMA. And then you are in control of that entity. When we're born and then when the application for a birth certificate hits the registrar, then we all know, I'm sure everybody knows, or most people know on this call, that that is a state agency that was created and it shows that an organization became organized and we became the agent for that agency. Now we know how to, ca I know how to capture the, that entity and start to take back and take back my own power of attorney. And I think uh, I'll yield with that, Brian. Thank you. No, no, it's all good stuff. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, right before the call, somebody wanted me to take a look at a video um, that somebody had shared with them. And it was a guy who had gotten pulled over, and he got pulled over for like a minor traffic infraction of some sort. Um, <clears throat> it was funny, uh, on the back window of his vehicle, he said, uh, big letters, it said the earth is flat. <laughs> but anyway, aside from that, um, the officer came up to him, and he didn't want to give the officer his driver's license or anything, and he's doing the whole, you know, I got the right to travel, man, kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> uh, the officer had already called uh, the field officer or the officer of the day or whatever, uh, to the scene because it, he knew that, you know, the guys that are doing this, that's no matter what they ask for. They want to see the supervisor and stuff like that. And so, you know, the supervisor appeared to have been very well skilled in talking to um, some of the right to travel people, you know. And, you know, I don't even know if the officer realized what he was saying when he was saying it, but he hit the whole issue dead on. And in fact, I'm very sure he didn't realize exactly what he was saying. But but what he, or what, what was meant really, really behind what he was saying, but what he had said was, he said, you know, let me get this straight. He said, you don't think you need to have a driver's license. You want to claim the right to travel. Um, and you think that all these laws and stuff don't pertain to you, but you think that you can force everybody else to follow all these other rules and laws and things like that. <clears throat> What's kind of behind that, what he, what he was saying was, okay, you know, you're saying that you're not flying under the flag of the United States. Well, what flag are you flying under? You know, what rules are you under? 
you know, and a PMA will give you those rules and, um, and, and give you that protection that, that you're looking for. Because otherwise, all the people running around with, out here with the right to travel thing, they have no level of protection to take care of them or to stand on. And, you know, on top of that, I think it's kind of funny, the, this whole right to travel thing, and I guess people are like, well, I'm not in commerce, you know, I'm not driving, driving is commerce, da, 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 I've got the right to travel. Uh, to me, that's nothing but a big trap. I would love to know who really laid that out in the very beginning years ago to entrap everybody because the word travel is also a commercial term. And that's why these guys get laughed at is because they're saying they're not participating in commerce, but then they're turning around and using a commercial term at the same time, you know. So uh, that they're sticking themselves even harder between, you know, a rock and a hard place. So, <laughs> yeah, I totally avoid that whole right to travel BS stuff because, that's still keeping you right inside the uh, clutches of the system that you're trying to escape. If I may add to that. Yeah. Okay. First off, you have no rights. Now, how do you have a right to travel if you have not done a declaration of rights and put it into a publication? Bingo. Yep. So that's what I'm talking about, publication. Yeah. The power of publication. People do not or have not come to the understanding that the power of publication, this is exactly the same thing they do. They public they publicize all their statutes, and um, then they put them into a registry. That they, it's, it's a public registry. We can go and we can look at all their statutes, ordinances, and codes. Now, if we set up the same the same thing as they do, and everything is human right compliant, and you're protecting people's rights inside your um, paperwork, they have a public place they can go and see who you are, what you're about, just like we do, and we can to see who they are and what they're about. It's the thing we don't understand sometimes, or we haven't understood, because we aren't taught this, is the power of publication. If you publicize it, it wasn't contested, or if it wasn't objected to, that's your law. And they have to go by it, and they can't force you into it. So Article 20 of the UDHR talks that they cannot force you into an association unless you want to do it willingly. I'm going to bring that up, and I'm going to look at it real quick. I think yeah, I, I was going to say, I was going to say, I posted something a few months ago that I think went right over everybody's head. And the few people that did comment on it, they're like, well, your stuff you post, normally there's something behind it. Uh, and they're like, I don't get it. <laughs> and what it was, was uh, a commissioner on the board, I think up on Tampa, Florida, um, there was something that he wanted to do with uh, some waterways there. And he went and uh, showed what he wanted to do. And uh, towards the end of his article, he said, now this has been... Um, published in the Federal Register for the last 30 days, uh, saying that there has been um, no argument against it. This is the direction we will be moving forward. And I was like, wow, right there in everybody's face. Everybody who says, oh, well, no full disclosure, this or that. Yeah, I'm sorry, but they put everything into the Federal Register before it becomes enacted. 
and people have a chance to go there and comment on it and things like that and debate it. <clears throat> so I, I thought that was beautiful. I mean, that was just evidence that was just floating around out there online that shows you how everything gets done. And that's the way people are supposed to be operating themselves as well. That's absolutely right, and I'll agree 100%. Uh, we do, we, until now, I mean, not very many people know about the power of publication and being able to have your own place where you put everything into a, a re- type of registry that you make for yourself. You make yourself a website, call it your registry, and give it the name of your PMA. You got you drop your you know, bylaws, your constitutions, your articles, organizations, or charter, or whatever you want to call it, into that. And if it's been publicized, and um, you do it the right way, they have no jurisdiction over you unless you cause harm, or loss, or damaged property. And it's as simple as the golden rule. Yep, exactly. Everybody running around hollering, I got rights. No, you don't. Not until you sign some sort of document saying you do and put it in a publication of record. Then you have rights. It doesn't matter if you're born in a country. That doesn't mean that makes you a uh, a resident of that country. That doesn't mean that makes you a citizen of that country. Um, you have to establish that with the oath and affirmation to that. And once you do your PMA, you could take an oath and affirmation to the PMA, and that would be what you're governed by. And if you want to change it or amend it, you can write into your minutes that you have the right to change or amend any anything that is associated with this unincorporated association. Because that's what a PMA, the best type of PMA is uh, an unincorporated association. That's the best kind. That's what I've learned. And this is not legal advice. I'm just telling you what I'm doing for myself. And uh, publication is strong. And no judge in the land can delete, take away, or change that publication. They can't stop it. They can't take it down because it's your self-governing ability to be able to do that. Um, like the hey, Walt, let me ask you, yeah. Go ahead. Let me ask you a question. Uh, when you publish stuff into your PMA and uh, autograph it or whatever, uh, do you have to use a red pen? No, no. We're, it's all, <laughs> no, no. That's that's a rabbit hole, brother. I am sorry. Uh, oh, 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 now when you sign something in blood. And that's the that's the the way that the uh, evil people want to do it. They we gotta have that in blood, you know. Um, and it's a blood oath. You don't have to take a blood oath. You just you just stand on your word when you take an oath. It's there's no blood involved. There's no purple involved. That's all their organization type things when it comes to uh, um, how they try and teach people that. It's a rabbit hole. I mean, there's so many different ways, and they have their set up their way. Now, if they use inside their PMA, uh, you got to do a red pen signing to make it official, then that would be your law. That's their law. Uh, you know, blue ink, you know, blue ink. 
I mean, it's the best to see on paper. Blue and black ink is the best that you can see on paper. And most generally, blue ink is uh, usually what you're going to use anyway because it's easier to see. It's got color to it. Um, basically, any color you want, whatever you say or stipulate that the color you use for whatever function that needs to function for. But when they're using that red oh, thing... Go ahead. Yeah, no, what I want to say is uh, what we're talking about here is just basic common sense contract law, basic international law. That's the way everything is running off from. None of this can be slipped into the file of uh, some patriot voodoo stuff or anything like that, um, or you know some hypothesis somebody came up with or idea somebody had. No, this is basic law. This is what everything is running under right now as it is anyway. So why not use it in your favor? Yeah, and I'm going to go with that is Article 20, 1 and 2. 1, everybody has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and association. And 2, no one may be compelled to belong to an association. That means if I wanted to, Brian, I said, I want you to be bound by this. I'm going to give you a ticket for this, and you're going to have to pay. Well, then I'm trying to force you into an association with me. And that's only because you haven't established your own. Yep, exactly. And also, that video that I looked at today, uh, there was something else that was kind of telling towards the end of it there. Because <clears throat> instead of giving the police officer his driver's license, which the police officer told the supervisor, he said he opened up his wallet. I saw it right there. I don't know why he won't give it to me. But um, <clears throat> the uh, supervisor before he walked away from the car, he says, yeah, he says, I've got here this document that you gave to the officer when you were pulled over uh, with your right to travel and pull on it and stuff like that. And he says, and I'm going to keep this. He says, I'm going to keep this as kind of a souvenir because of how funny it is. He says, you know what? He says, I'm looking at this document and I look down towards the bottom of it and you didn't even sign it. It hasn't been notarized. There's nothing there uh, tying it to you. He said, that's the funniest thing about it. So to me, that right there was a big hint. You know, this guy was trying to um, forward to the officers what law he's operating under, but though he didn't even sign on to it. He didn't even put his name to it or anything like that. And the officer knew that. He knew that your name isn't even on here, so that doesn't apply to you. Yep. The officer was giving him a hint, trying to tell him, oh, you missed something here, partner. Yeah, that video was actually kind of funny. I, I might go and post it to the group and just so let everybody pick through it and see some of the hints that that officer was uh, trying to give to this guy. But, um, it, you know, if you stand back and look at these situations happening in real life, it, and it is, it's comical. It's sad to say, but it, it's actually comical. Yeah, sometimes I write comical. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Sometimes that right to travel thing works on some officers, and they'll just hand you back your stuff and say, "Have a nice day." But then that same person gets in a different location, and they go to jail. Where was the force in that? It wasn't the force; it was the lack of knowledge on the officer, uh, part of the officer. That's all it was. Yeah, exactly. 
uh, or on top of it, maybe even a step worse, is that a lot of these officers have been trained on, uh, I hate to say it, but the whole sovereign citizen movement, okay? And so a lot of these officers might also look at a document like that or, or see some crazy license plate that somebody's written up to put on the back of the vehicle. And they may take a look at that and they immediately have to make a judgment call. And with some of the training that they've had, that judgment call is this. Do I want to go home to my wife and kids today? Because some of the run-ins with some of these people have not ended up very pretty. So they've got a decision to make at that time as well. You know, whether they see the plate or they get handed some crazy documentation or something like that, you know. So, and that's not the direction that you want to present yourself from or that's not the direction you really want them to look at you at, you know. Um, you're really supposed to be coming in peace and, you know, living in harmony with everything around you and getting tied into some of these nefarious organizations. Uh, but I'm sorry, some of these organizations out there who are pretending to try and get away from U.S. Inc. can actually be more damaging to the whole cause than if those people, you know, just, than what U.S. Inc. even does, for instance. You know what I mean? So, and Walter, I wanted to say as well, you're talking about um, Articles of Incorporation, the PMA, and the Assembly. Um, And I have no intention of sling mud at anybody in any direction or anything like that, but there's lots of groups out there that, are doing assembly meetings and things like that. Uh, there's some, I think, South Carolina. We've got them here in Florida, um, all, all across the land. And their intent and what they want to do is totally correct. And I'm, I'm glad to see them making the effort. However, if you're listening into one of those calls and there's no minutes of a meeting read, um, there is no attendance taken to establish a quorum. You know, if some of these elements are not there, this is not a real assembly. It's not a real yeah. assembly. Absolutely, and I'll if have no people trying question. to do the right thing. Yeah, absolutely. If people trying no. to do the right thing, they just they just don't have the knowledge on how it's really done. Now they will have no uh, legislative or just judicial power if they don't uh, uh, create offices. They have to create a registry, somebody to take the minutes and record the minutes. They have to have uh, offices in place, and they have to have people coming in on the assemblies to give their opinion and bring forth motions to be discussed by the assembly members for them to be able to facilitate a government for the people, not a government a government of the people. Uh, see, the governments, uh, the way they're trying to do it, they're still looking at it as the democratic way. And you have to have a republic assembly in order to make it for the people and the people are the ones that have the words on how to tell the government what to do and then sometimes these entities they don't want to be told what to do and that's when you have the nefarious acts that perpetrate against the people they don't know how to set up their assemblies you got to have your officers in place you have to publicize it you have to give them uh, information you got to give them uh uh, the knowledge of what you're doing, why you're doing it, and it has to be wrote into your preamble. There has to be a preamble of intent, and 
if they don't have these elements in place, they're doing work that's not going to cause any effect except for the for the members inside their own group. And if they don't take it a step forward and create a private membership association and go by all the um, uh, rules and regulations and laws of the um, uh, um, international law and law of nations, see, you're basically making yourself uh, a new government, and that's how you find your protection. That's why they call it plausible deniability rolled into their own statutes. Um, and they do have that in their own members. But yet again, you have to remember, if you're only an associate to a private membership association, you're brought in and forced into an association, those remedies and recourses are only for those in the uh, PMA as a member. And if we don't have written authorization, we can't use them. That's why we publicize our intent in the paper to show our standing and our set-apart jurisdictions. It's as simple as that. Well, and on top of it, I think really the main objective of so many of these organizations is that they're trying to get or trying to force U.S. Inc. to follow that fraudulent document that they love so much called the Constitution. And U.S. Inc. even knows that that is not a valid document, you know, and that's why they don't even let you bring that up in court, you know. But and so really, what is being done is not just the fact that there is no jurisdictional uh, ability there, but you're also really uh, starting to walk on some thin ice, and there is potential of doing something that could uh, land your butt in jail. And we've seen this occur numerous times uh, from some of these uh, different groups. Like the gathering of the judges, they, they have no protection. Like the gathering of the judges, for instance, they did not have it set up properly. They didn't have their offices in place. They didn't have their preamble in place. They didn't publicize it in a publication of record because the record internationally, you noticed the whole world of your intent and your separation. Right, exactly. If, you're, if people are coming forward and they're trying to do this or that and, and place liens on judges or whatever, and they're claiming, say, for instance, a position of a judge, um, if they haven't publicized that, if they haven't um, put out uh, their constitution or put their charter out there showing their intent and who they are, all right, then, number one, if the de facto encounters uh, any of these people, they have no clue who they are. There's been nothing put on the record. So they're immediately going to look at you with a jaundiced eye as if, it, you know, like you're a domestic terrorist or something like that. They're right. And actually they might have put in they harm's way. I'm sorry. They might have publicized it in a paper, but was it a, a publication of record? That's the difference. These judges might have publicized it, the self-appointed, but was it in a publication of record? It has to be in a publication of record for it to have standing in force. That's the power of publication. Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and as far as, let's say, for instance, putting a lien on a judge or something like that, <clears throat> a lot of these things are things that, yeah, they can be done, but they're part of an administrative process, and they're actually trying to jump over everything else to the very end of that administrative process and use the teeth right off the start. And you can't do that. If you're 
using stuff that's part of an administrative process, you have to follow through with that entire administrative process. Uh, otherwise, you're just kind of looking like an idiot. You know, like I say, people that are going out and putting out these uh, affidavits of truth, for instance. Affidavit of truth. Well, that right there means you don't know what an affidavit is. Yep. If you. Uh, oh, well. Uh, yep. Uh, go ahead. I was just going to say we're hitting around the two hour mark here. So uh, if you had something else you want to follow up with, go for it, bro. Oh, I'm I'm good. Uh, um, I've said quite a bit now, and that's a good idea for people to think about the power of publication. That's the main thing, and it has to be a publication of record. And I yield with that. Thank you for your time, and thank you, everybody else. And that, that publication of record also, people need to think about that when it goes back to um, even uh, claiming your child or claiming your property instead of doing the birth certificate or whatever. Uh, which that's even available here at this government. So anyway, uh, with that being said, um, we'll call this a week and catch you next Sunday. And like I always say, uh, the best thing you can do for yourself is finding out where you're really from, where you're really at, and who you really are. And you nail those three things down, and you're going to answer more questions for your life than 99% of people have. Have a good night, everybody. Good night. Great call. Thanks, guys. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.